Hello and welcome to this episode of Brailcast Extra. My name's Matthew Horsepool and this week, your Braille library questions answered. RNIB, which operates one of Europe's largest Braille lending libraries, has recently announced changes to the way in which books will be produced from April 2021. Since the announcement, there has naturally been much discussion about what these changes will mean for Braille readers in the UK and around the world. The Braillists Foundation and colleagues from RNIB explored these changes and answered questions from the public on Tuesday the 23rd of March and this episode of Brailcast Extra is a recording of that session. It's introduced by Braillists Foundation Chair and Customer Experience Manager at RNIB, Dave Williams. Just a couple of weeks ago, RNIB announced some changes to the hard copy Braille library. Now, I need to declare an interest here because as well as being your chair of the Braillist Foundation, I also work with RNIB as a customer experience manager. And my role takes me right across the services directorate, working with the retail, library and commercial teams on the experience of customers interacting with RNIB. And my specific areas of interest are technology and, surprisingly, Braille. So before Christmas last year, um, RNIB invited Uh, me to become uh, a spokesperson regarding the Braille Library changes. And some of you may have heard me on BBC Radio 4's In Touch programme. On In Touch, I described how the Braille Library was changing to an on-demand Braille production method. So in essence, the library would be creating books that are recyclable rather than recirculated. And what this means is that the existing books that you receive from the library will become smaller. They will become thinner, uh, they will be produced on demand, and your book requests will not be restricted by the number of volumes that are held by the library. It also means that we can make much bolder claims in respect of hygiene. Now, a couple of years ago, nobody really was talking about Braille and hygiene in the same sentence. But actually, those that have run Braille libraries will know that books come back in all sorts of conditions of of repair and disrepair. My sister actually was a fundraiser for the National Library for the Blind when it was based up in Stockport uh, around 20 years ago. And she used to tell me stories that would really make your hair curl about the condition of some of the books uh, when they were returned. I've also heard from the reading services manager at RNIB about books being returned with baked beans, underwear and the list goes on. So there are hygiene issues around recirculating um, uh, Braille books, not all Braille books, obviously. But the great news is that going forward with Braille produced on demand, it means that the book you receive, you'll be the first person to read it. The Braille will be crisp. You won't have to deal with uh, dots that have been read many times that have become squashed or faint over time. And it also means that 
the books as well will be in a smaller form factor. And I've got one of the books here, just one of the volumes. So this looks very much like a Braille magazine. This is, in fact, volume one of a seven volume uh, book. Uh, and it's uh, written in the contracted Braille code. This is this is UEB. Should say that the library changes aren't really about UEB. I'm sure we'll talk about that some more in a moment. But this book, particular book anyway, has been produced in UEB. It's contracted Braille. It's single line spacing. It's double sided Braille. And when we get to the uh, the contents page, uh, I'm just flicking through for that. Here we go. We can feel that the contents is beautifully laid out. Page numbers are all above each other. And this feels very much like a Braille book. We've got the title, the running title at the top of the center of each page. Uh, we've got the Braille page number in the top right. And we've got the uh, print page numbers here as well. So they are indicated, you know, with the dot five followed by the dots uh, two five, which shows us that it's a original uh, print page number. So a lot of the conventions that we're already familiar with from Braille books are respected. But the thing you will observe about this book is it doesn't have any plastic binding. So the new, smaller, slimmer volumes that are produced on demand from RNIB's Braille library uh, come they are stapled, um, and I should say that most um, paper mills, they are set up um, to process contaminants like uh, staples. Uh, so you can put this um, lock, stock and barrel into your paper waste. You don't return it to the library. So books are recycled, not recirculated. OK, you can keep the book for as long as you like. You can read it as many times as you like. If you so choose to and you're satisfied that you've kept the book in good condition and uh, and you want to share it with another Braille reader, uh, you can, of course, do that. And perhaps in this session, we can explore some ways in which we can all collaborate to uh, to make that possible. But in essence, the book is yours to do with what you see fit. And when you are finished with it, you can recycle it. You don't need to return it. So no more due dates. Um, there was just a question uh, a moment ago, in fact, from somebody asking me, uh, what, what, what do I do about due dates? There won't be a due date. You won't need to worry about uh, when you need to return the book. Uh, you keep it for as long as you need it. Now, naturally, these changes have raised a number of questions um, and I'd like to try and tackle some of those um, if I may. So the first question is, well, what's going to happen with all the old books? Because the old books were much larger and heavier and in many cases um, unsuitable for children because they were perhaps written in a braille code that's not used anymore or in some cases, the books. I remember my sister, the same sister who worked at the uh, at the National Library Service, uh, telling me about how when her blind son got his first Braille library book, that the book was almost as big as he was. So these smaller volumes are going to be much more portable. They'll fit into you know book bags and through the letterbox. But what's going to happen with those older volumes? Well, they're yours if you want them. So if you have a particular book that you'd like to keep from the existing collection, contact the RNIB Braille Library and we'll give all those contact details in a little while and you can keep that book and you can have it. Um, so the books in the first instance are being donated to Braille readers in the UK. 
And I know that at least one person on this call has already done that, um, uh, has requested, I think, 30 volumes so far and is about to request many more. And if RNIB have it, then they will donate it to you. Secondly, the books will be offered to schools and uh, should schools wish to avail themselves of some Braille books and they're very welcome to do so. Although in reality, RNIB expects that many schools will prefer the smaller, lighter volumes that are written in the more modern Braille code for educational purposes. And then thirdly, the books will be offered internationally to sister organisations. And I've already had someone reach out to me through the Braillists forum uh, from Malaysia who was interested in receiving books. And so I've put that person in touch with the reading services team. So sister organisations around the world uh, are very welcome to receive uh, books from um, the Braille Library Legacy uh, Collection. The next thing, of course, is the question around items of cultural significance. And clearly, you know, this is to some extent subjective, what is culturally significant. But treasures like uh, a Braille programme from the, uh, the Queen's coronation in the early 1950s, it was produced with the uh, original cover, the same as the print cover, I believe. A copy of a Braille Radio Times dating back to the 1930s. These are treasures that have been identified within the Braille Library and they will be preserved as part of RNIB's Heritage Collection, which is uh, housed in London. And uh, I have a very tentative agreement uh, with RNIB to uh, produce a virtual tour of that collection as soon as I'm able to, uh, to do so. Uh, for anybody who isn't able to go on site to visit the uh, the heritage collection. And if there is a particular item that you would like to preserve, then again, as I said, you are very welcome uh, to request that. Unfortunately, there will be some books that are in such a poor state of repair. Um, you know, I mentioned some of the conditions of some of the books. It only takes for books to be left out in the damp for a little while for them to become mouldy. I've heard stories about, you know, Braille volumes becoming welded together with mould. So some of those books um, are going to have to be recycled. Um, and, you know, of course, nobody likes to hear of books being recycled, but print books are being recycled all the time. And this new um, production on demand model isn't dissimilar to that that is used in the mainstream when you buy a book online now you know amazon uh doesn't necessarily have you know enormous warehouses filled with books often um organizations there's a company called core source i believe um who are involved in the on-demand production of print books so this is an established uh model there are other braille library um libraries around the world that are in the similar position uh, who are transitioning um, to this model and of course many readers are moving to digital braille um, rnib has invested um, over a hundred thousand pounds in digital braille in the last year particularly during that first lockdown period when the braille library service was suspended uh, and braille equipment was distributed to braille library members also, content is available on an SD card. I've got an SD card in my hand. So this is a bit bigger than a postage stamp. 
and you can plug this into your braille display or your computer or if you haven't got an sd card slot you can get an sd card reader for about a fiver that will plug into a usb port and the current version of this card contains around 800 books and that number is set to double in the coming months so watch this space as that number continues to increase the other potential benefit uh, of moving the uh, braille library to an on-demand uh, service is that at the moment the current collection is around 20,000 books now, RNIB also has um, the RNIB Bookshare Education Collection. Um, the number of titles um, reach into the hundreds of thousands, I think 700,000 the last time I checked. And so longer term, the goal will be uh, to connect the Braille library with the Bookshare collection, allowing Braille readers in the UK to have hard copy Braille access to those hundreds of thousands of titles via the Bookshare collection. So that's a long term goal. That's not going to be available just now. In terms of timeline, readers will begin receiving the new books from April and if you have um, specific requests from uh, the existing collection, do get those in. In terms of the new books, we will be producing books that uh, for which we have a digital master, around three quarters of the collection. Um, uh, digital master uh, files are available and those books can be produced instantly. And where there is demand from readers, the remaining books can be retranscribed. So uh, if there is a particular book that you want um, and uh, if RNIB doesn't have a digital master, you know, make sure to to ask for it because those books can can be, you know, in most cases retranscribed, uh, expanding the uh, the digital collection as we go forward. So I do want to come to questions um, and you know, I'm not claiming to have every single answer, but I will give it my best shot. And uh, if there are any questions that are still outstanding at the end of the session, I will take those up with the uh, reading services team and make sure to get you um, an answer. OK, um, before we do that, um, I'd like to bring in James Bowden and James Bowden works as a Braille technical officer within RNIB and James has uh, a special interest in Braille music and I think James um, we'd like you to just comment on the arrangements for um, Braille music if you wouldn't mind. Hello so yes basically what Dave has said about ordinary books applies pretty much exactly the same to braille music so they will come in these new on-demand books and you can keep them as long as you like and then recycle them or pass them on um, a good proportion of the collection is already available digital and if you need anything yourself transcribed or retranscribed again get your request in and we'll see what we can do Thanks very much, James. Uh, so, Ben. We're going to come to Kate first, and after Kate, we're going to come to Margaret. Hey, Kate, you're good to go. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Um, I have 
listened with some interest. Um, I've got a couple of points about literary books. Um, I haven't borrowed any for a long time, and it's about time I started doing so again. Um, I'm slightly unnerved about reading some of the longer novels that I would like to read. Um, I'm thinking of some of the Dickens, some of the Brontes and things like that, so, you know, substantial, and even Lord of the Rings, on a thing the size of an A4 pamphlet. Um, I can't imagine how many volumes that must equate to, and I really can't see that that's going to make it easier for the postie posting 35 individual A4 volumes through your post box. And while I do understand the issues it poses for children with these great big books that we all used to cope with, even when we were children, and and one or two who are elderly and find those heavy and uncomfortable. Um, I I do wonder whether it isn't possible to do the square format um, that works for music uh, for quite a lot of the novels, because they're not as big, certainly, as the old cloth-bound books that um, most of us of a certain age would remember. Um, And I just wonder why A4 has become the default thing for things that are not children's books and are actually very substantial. Um, Music, I understand, is going to remain on the square format because of the issues of formatting, and I hope that that is correct. And I think I have raised a lot of questions about music, and so have my musician colleagues um, in emails. Um, And my latest is, is one about when did it become that RNIB could no longer manufacture thermoform, which has got quite a lot of key works still existent in it. Um, but, you know, that 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 is a, a another can of worms, and I would like to explore that significantly as a professional musician as well. Okay, I'll uh, have a go at those, Kate. Lovely to have you. Thanks so much for uh, coming by. I think we might have met at um, a, a music event um, at Judd Street um, uh, some time ago. God, it seems, feels like another seems, life, seems doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I've certainly met your brother as well. So yes. uh, I think he was a, a contemporary of my my sister at, um, at New College. So um, on the overall size of books, that isn't going to change the books will not be abridged in any way so no no, actually, no not abridged but the size yeah. of paper is tiny so, isn't so, it for... yeah so well just on the overall size of the book um that will be on un, unchanged that's you know the books aren't going to be uh you know if you take the complete works of dickens or the complete works of harry potter or even just one of those books mm. um the overall kind of size and, and weight of that is going to still be broadly the same because it's braille and mm. of course you know we are limited by the size required for you know the the braille cells where um books are um stored digitally and formatted for the um the wider paper it's my understanding that that will continue to be a cake be the case so the the oh. sample i've received um is on wider paper i think like 11 inch um paper okay um, right so so that still is wider but the book is slimmer so it is you're right to say it will be divided into more volumes uh this particular sample i've got 
uh, I think it's, ooh, I'm just having a look now, 45 pages mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. per volume. It's um, considerably course, less, isn't it? It, 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 is, it is less, it's slimmer. Yeah. So so yeah. as I'm as I'm reading it, I haven't got a great big heavy thing, you know, with me. No, but that's not my big question. My question is that will mean more volumes and presumably yeah, will, yeah. a lot more volumes. And is it smaller paper, a lot, lot more volumes? So it may be the same size overall, but it is going to take up a lot more bookshelf. And the other question, the other thing is the it that will presumably change things like the contents page and the page numberings that the, the header information the page format because you're on a smaller page and the files originally set up for something on on big square paper so that is going to change what chapter starts on which page are they going to therefore change the contents page to fit the new size of paper Yes. So the 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 volume basically the way it works. The sample I've got here uh, was originally a four volume book, mm-hmm. um, and in the slimmer volumes, that's come out at um, seven uh, volumes. Yeah. Uh, so each volume is is subdivided. So volume one, for example, is in part A and part B. <laughs> Oh, my goodness gracious me. That's going to send some children into spasm, isn't it? Well, I think for, for, for children's books and for newly um, produced work, then that's where the A4 comes in. And I think, you know, why A4 has been, you asked the question, why mm. A4 has been selected as a standard. And mm. I think that's because it already is a standard and, and lots of stationery and bags. and Yeah, but know, it's not other... a standard for Braille, is it? But it never was a standard for Braille because it was always understood that actually Braille is bigger and it you, you just need to cope with something slightly bigger and you buy a bigger bag. May I, I mean, jump in there? Of course. Yeah, um, yes, yeah. A4. Four has definitely been a standard. Your bank statements, utility yeah, bills, etc., yeah. all come as A4. Mm-hmm. And if you go into many of the schools, they seem to like A4 because it stacks on their shelves. I've spoken to, for example, Duxbury Systems and Technovision, and he says the main kind of paper he ships is A4. Because it's compatible with with other stationery in the world, and and I, I understand the points you're making, Kate, and that um, you know there will be for those of us that are kind of used to things, there will be a period of of adjustment, um, and that's why we're doing sessions like these to hopefully, you know, try and get some of these questions out into the open and to have them aired um but also you know to make sure that people are aware that braille is a modern relevant tool that that can sit alongside print in a mainstream inclusive world then um i think you know part of that uh is also around the uh you know the format of of new um material um these lines are the full, you know, line length, like you say, you know, 36, 38, you know, cells per line on the, the sample I've got in front of me. And of course, many, many readers are also using electronic uh, Braille as well, where you can use, you know, Braille on a, on a on a longer display. And I think for the foreseeable future, many, many of the books in the collection are formatted for a wider page and will come as that format. But I think for new material that's going to be produced into the future, then that's where, where the A4 thing really, really comes in. 
Thanks um, for that, Kate. Um, sorry to hurry uh, people along a little bit there. We do have uh, actually quite a, a wide selection of hands raised. Uh, so we're going to come to Margaret next. And after Margaret, we're going to come to Rachel. Uh, but right now, Margaret, you are good to go. Um, good evening, everyone from Northern Ireland. Hello, um, Margaret from hello. Northern Ireland. Hello. Um, well, I'm a bit, um, I'm in agreement with Kate. I don't think I'm going to have enough shelves to store all these books because a book that could be 12 volumes could end up being 24. Um, but my, my um, question is, if you receive more than one book, so for instance, if you've been receiving three, three books off your list, will that still be the case? Yeah, yeah, you should definitely speak with the uh, with the reading services team so that they understand your uh, requirements in terms of the amount of books that you receive. We um, we know that most uh, well, the very very heaviest readers um, receive around two books a week, mm. um, and that's a very very small proportion of of people. Um, but um, RNIB has budgeted for a potential increase in demand because it may, you know, as Kate said, um, she hadn't, you know, had anything from the library for quite a while and she wanted to kind of get back into, you know, reading literary uh, Braille on, on, on paper. So RNIB has budgeted for um, an increase um, in demand. So um, if you're currently getting three books at a time, then there's there's no reason why you can't continue to do so. Um, all I would say is do let the library know if you're going away on holiday so they don't stack up um, at your door. OK, thank you. Thanks for that, Margaret. Great question. And we're going to come to Rachel next. And uh, once uh, Rachel's had her questions answered, we're going to come to Christine. Uh, hey, Rachel, you're good to go. All I want to find out, really, at the moment, what's been happening with me, um, because I've been able to send my library books back, what I've had fixed with the library that is that as soon as they send me, as soon as I send books back to them, I'm sorry, is that they'll send me some more, like, straight away. Yep. If we're not sending library books back, how is it how is it going to fix it that how are they going to know when to send me some more books am i going to have to get in touch with them every time no so you can you can tell the library so the library will have a record of your history like how often you you know you typically borrow books so maybe you yeah, get a book yeah that's a quite month. frequently with me <laughs> yeah that's all right um yeah. and, and maybe you get two books a month. i mean you know the the person who borrowed the most books last year i think was borrowing about 3 books a week um and right. that was you know yeah. like one person so um <laughs> whatever your normal kind of pattern is they will try and stick to that you know so they'll try and send books out at the same rate that you have been receiving books in the past right. if mine wanted... does vary depending yeah so you know you so want... sometimes yeah. it'll be a month sometimes it'll be four months or you know yeah they might so be if, a bit, oh, what do we if do? You, if you want to change that, um, do let them mm -hmm. know. You can also um, self-serve on, online as well. Um, so you will be able to use the website. Uh, uh, so you'll be able to go onto the website and, and request more books. If you're not due a book, but actually you want another book, uh, then you will be able to to request that on the on the website um, or via the, um, via the helpline. But you're right to raise the point that returning the books is not now the trigger. So the, the two kind of triggers are what is your existing pattern um, and on average, how often do you currently receive books? And they will try to follow 
that as as much as possible and then if you know that your pattern is a little bit erratic and you, you don't you know always read at the same rate or you know you might have one month you might want three books and one month you might want no books then um, you'll be able to manage that either through the website or via the um, helpline. So we're going to come to Claudia next and after Claudia we're going to come to Sheila Foster. Uh, hey, Claudia, you are unmuted. Hello, can you hear me? Hello, Claudia. Yes, indeed. Hello, welcome in. Uh, thank you. Um, I just wanted, because I, I am a, a library member for a long time, but it's recently that I kind of restarted my reading habits because I discovered that you could, you know, ask the Royal Mail to collect the books because uh, I, I used to bring them to the post office, but, you know, it was a lot of, like you, you, you know, you've got a lot of bags and a lot of volumes. It was a bit difficult, so yeah. I kind of stopped it. But then recently, I joined because I heard the Romeo can do that for you, and I know there won't be no returning. So I mean, it's a way of dis disposing them. Really, I know you said they could be recycled, but obviously, it's going to be a, uh, like well, depending obviously how uh, how many volumes the book will have. But it's not so easy to be disposed of them. In, in in the house environment i guess so depending on how many i mean i take your point um that it is something new that we're being asked to to do now rather than return uh books you know we're, we're being asked to to recycle them <laughs> which um, i understand you know yeah. it's, it's, it's a good thing but then so um I mean, I, I just want to make everybody aware as well. I, I should have said this at the beginning. You know, I am a Braille reader as well, you know, so so I, I absolutely, um, you know, understand the points that that, that people are making and, and empathise with them. Um, obviously, if you get through a lot of books, then uh, it might be more difficult uh, recycling. And I, and I absolutely, you know, accept that. Um, one of the ideas that has been floated, there are no official plans at this stage is um to perhaps explore if people are interested and do let us know at the Brailist Foundation if you'd like us to um to to develop this idea is some kind of book exchange if when you have finished with a book you'd like to offer that to another reader um then perhaps the Brailist Foundation, we might be in a position to um, facilitate that where we could find people who are looking for books. It might be people who are overseas, possibly. Um, so if that's something that um, folks are interested in, do write to help at Brailist.org or uh, drop us a note on the um, Brailist forum if you'd like to look at ways in which we could um, perhaps facilitate some sort of book exchange um, programme. But yes, the books are designed to um, um, you know, to be fully recyclable. Um, so they can go in your paper waste. Um, and if you've got a, you know, a large um, recycling bin, um, then they, you know, they should fit in there quite um, easily. Um, but I do recognise the point um, that you're making, Claudia. Um, and if there are more um, suggestions about ways in which um, people can recycle books, then um, I will share those. But I, I will take that take that on on board. Um, it's good to know that um, there's going to be much less use of um, of plastics uh, when obviously plastic is you know often you know much harder to um, uh, to recycle sometimes. 
uh, and that also the uh, books themselves um, are being produced using paper that has come from um, a you know an environmentally sustainable source. Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm slightly reassured um, by that. But I, but I do appreciate it is it is a gear change. It is something that we are uh, going to have to get used to this idea of uh, recycling rather than recirculating. We're going to come to Sheila Foster now. And after you, Sheila, we're going to come to Teresa. And that is Teresa A. OK, uh, Sheila. Sheila. Hello. You're good to go. This is um, made to order. Um, so it it can I can I say that if I saw a print book, um, would I be able to contact the RNIB and say, would you please um, put this book into Braille for me? You should definitely ask the question, um, Sheila. No doubt about it. You should definitely, definitely ask the question. Now, whether or not they have the digital file will determine how long that's going to take. So, if they've got the file. Um, then they can do it straight away. If they haven't got the file, they're going to have to make the file. And if you can rally around a bit of support for your particular request, the more demand, then obviously the further up the queue, um, the file will get. But eventually, when we get to a point where the Bookshare collection is linked in with the Braille Library collection, then that's going to dramatically expand the number of potential uh, books available. But if you if you hear about a book that you want in Braille, do let the um, let the library know as soon as as soon as possible. Great question, though, Sheila. And uh, sorry to uh, chivvy you along a little bit there. We're going to come to Teresa A next. And after you, Teresa, we're going to come to Adrian. Hey, Teresa, you are now unmuted. Two questions. One is, um, I lived in England between the 70s, 1978 and 1982. And at that time, I was subscribed to the, um, to the library yeah. and to the RNIB. Uh, but now that um, I am back in Venezuela, um, am I able to subscribe? Okay, we lost you there at the end, Teresa, but I think I've got the gist of the question. Mm -hmm. The um, so the RNIB obviously is a, is a UK-based charity, and as, as such, it's primarily exists to to kind of serve people living uh, blind and partially sighted people living in the UK. However. Mm -hmm. Um, RNIB is very keen to work with other libraries around the world. So if you have any kind of organization um, that has an interest in Braille in Venezuela, then they should please contact the uh, reading services team um, and we can look at ways of um, supplying Braille files uh, or books from the um, from the legacy collection uh, via uh, you know a recognised organisation in in any particular country. So I think you know RNIB's position is that um, they they can't really. Uh, offer a, a braille library service to every blind reader in the world um, but the way they want to um, support people internationally is to work with organizations and libraries in your country uh, so so if you have a contact or somebody um, that uh, the reading services team could be speaking with about ways in which books could be shared uh, then please please contact reading services at rnib 
rnib.org.uk. That's reading services at rnib.org.uk. And um, just ever so quickly, Dave, is it uh, is it correct to say that Theresa, at an individual level, could uh, order the SD card uh, using the international option if she was happy reading electronic Braille? Is that still possible? I be- I believe so, but I think the the intent is is to try and get books via organisations for for you know because then we can set up a reciprocal arrangement because there may well be you know libraries in other parts of the world with books that the RNIB hasn't got so so I think there needs to be some some negotiation there to see how we can help each other. Definitely, definitely. All right, uh, we're going to come to Adrian now, and after you, Adrian, we're going to come to Khalid. Hey, Adrian. Uh, Hi. You are good um, to go. Yeah. So I, I just sort of reiterate what Kate's point, the first one, that yeah, I think um, any book in sizable number of volumes. So I've just um, just read Vanity Fair. That's in twelve standard English Braille volumes of about one hundred and thirty pages each. So we're talking probably. 1,500 pages overall, probably, um, in terms of that um, book. So uh, with the new um, UEB um, system and being produced potentially on A4, we're talking probably 35, 40 volumes. I don't find that very funny to try and organise that. I must admit, I I don't think you really thought that through at all. My second point is I'd have felt a lot more reassured, I think, if you'd have made these changes while still keeping the Braille library in case the whole thing doesn't work. You don't know it's going to work. Um, you don't know whether things, you know, you'll have technical failures or whatever, which could cause all sorts of problems. I don't know what sort of, um, you know, um, what, what you've built into the system to make sure that doesn't happen. But, you know, we have had times when the uh, when the old Radio Times doesn't turned up for a few weeks or something, you know, these things do happen. It's, it's inevitable. Um, so I'm not sure about that. So, uh, um, and finally, um, what, why on earth didn't you consult with anybody? You, you didn't consult with any Braille Library members, and I, I suspect it's because we probably wouldn't have fancied the changes much. But uh, anyway, you could, if you could answer those, that would be great. Yeah, okay. So I'll, I'll have a stab, and then I'm going to pass it over to um, James. Um, so on, on the final point about um, consultation, so... Um, Samples um, have been sent to uh, some uh, Braille library uh, members and uh, there certainly is uh, testing uh, taking place um, and I've been providing feedback about, you know, things that I would like to see uh, changed. Um, and, you know, I'm sorry that you've not, it doesn't sound like you've been, you know, involved in that that particular um, pilot, um, but certainly, you know, request a sample. Um, you can do that uh, from RNIB of, of one of the new uh, books. Um, on the point around, you know, SEB and UEB, uh, and I'm going to let James speak to this in a, in a moment, it's my understanding that where a book, uh, where the original digital file um, is in SEB, then the title will still be produced in SEB. So you will get SEB if it's a title that is in the collection already, um, that is in SEB, then you will continue to receive that. And I think that's demonstrated by the fact that the digital uh, card, the memory card that's been um, distributed, that does contain some books um, in SEB as well. Uh, James, did you want to come in? 
Yes. Yeah, so um, just to allay your fears a little bit, Adrian, UEB does not take up 50% extra space than SEB, even if we were retranscribing everything. Um, so at a kind of worst case scenario, um, you kind of get double, not triple the number of volumes. That's a worst case scenario with the change of paper size, a change of volumes and a retranscribe, which is the worst case. Now, that's very unlikely to happen uh, for the majority of books. Um, you also asked about production failing, pr production failures. Well, that will be a pretty catastrophic event if all our embossers in our production facility went down at the same time. And I think we probably have not just our library customers, but all our commercial clients uh, banging at the door. Um, so, yeah, it is highly unlikely that all our embossers are going to go down at the same time. Thanks for that, Adrian. Uh, we're going to come to Khalid next. And after Khalid, we're going to come to John and Laura. Uh, hey, Khalid, you're good to go. Oh, hello there. Hi, Khalid. Hi there. Hi. I just have um, two questions. So the first is on how the books will be packaged now, because presumably they won't come in, in bags anymore. Um, and the second question I have is about actually how the um, what kind of quality control will be done on the on the braille because it may be that a particular volume doesn't quite come out right and if there is a problem is there a way to kind of report that in the future yeah so um on the packaging um individual volumes will come in a paper wrap uh, which you can just tear off um, so there's a, a kind of a little sticky bit uh, that goes over the ends of the uh, the pages um, so it's a kind of an outer uh, paper wrap so that's also um, recyclable um, and that's how my uh, sample books arrived and that paper wrap has your um, your address uh, on it uh, and then the other question was about um, QA about quality assurance and it's my understanding that um, the embossers um, are tested twice a day uh, with, a, you know, full page of cells and that kind of thing um, to make sure um, that the um, production quality is still there. Uh, and obviously, if you do spot an issue, you know, please do um, flag it up and report it to that reading services at rnib.org.uk address. And of course, you can just request the replacement volume because it's print on demand. Yeah. Great points. Thank you, Khalid. We're going to come to John and Laura in a moment or two. And after John and Laura, we're going to come to Tina. Uh, John and Laura, uh, you have the floor. Or the uh, good, evening. good evening from Swansea. Hello, um, Swansea. <laughs> right. Uh, my question, my point really, first and foremost, a couple of points, if I may. Um, the first point really is about the pleasure of reading Braille. And I'm an average guy. I'm six foot. I've got reasonable hands. But my point really is when you're reading Square or Stainsby Braille, the page is that much wider. It allows you to expand using a nice bimanual style to actually read that uh, text. And it's actually relaxing to read. When you do go on to a smaller format, as into the A4, um, it does become much more cramped up. It doesn't allow for such comfortable bimanual style. Uh, and then the pleasure is quite honestly just taken away. And this is why I'm happy to read my Braille statements and such like on 
that and the occasional bit of bump that might come through from British gas. But actually sitting down to read a decent book is a completely different uh, kettle of fish, really. And obviously in time, um, as things become recycled, everything, uh, as new books come out, the old books may stay on square because you've got them on that format. But anything new coming out, be it the um, Costa Book Prize or whatever each year, is going to go on to this A4 format. And from my point of view, that's going to take away the pleasure of some of that reading. Uh, now, the other thing I was going to ask you was you did mention earlier that this paper is a sustainable format. Now, does that actually mean, rather take the jargon away, is it recycled paper or is it some sort of other sustainable format? Because to my mind, if it's recycled paper, that's putting stuff around in the circle again and again and again. If it's not actually from a recycling source, then at some point that is taking new resource and that may not be quite as sustainable as perhaps you're making out. Okay, so uh, the information I have about the paper is it comes from a sustainable source. I don't have all the uh, detail on that, um, so we will try to dig into that um, for you and try and get a, a, a bit more detail on that answer. Um, I don't know is the short version, so I will I will ask uh, that question in the morning. Um, on the first point about um, you know the pleasure of of reading, um, I absolutely take your point that 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 is uh, you know hugely important, and, and for that reason, you know some people do prefer actually to to go with a you know a digital option uh, to have a longer braille display. Um, and there will be readers who will make the opposite point, who will say actually they prefer a smaller format, and and for them actually you know moving their hands out you know further apart detracts for you know for for them. Um, all I would say is that I think overall the changes mean more braille for everybody, which hopefully means more people can appreciate you know hard copy braille, and also we have more choice of of titles available thanks for that though john um we're going to come to tina next and after tina we're going to come to the other teresa on our call uh, that's teresa phone number ending in 783 uh, but for now tina you are unmuted oh good evening everybody hello there um i'd like to ask um surely um, I'm concerned about the um, financial side of things because if the RMIB are going to be producing books on demand, yeah, people to recycle right, a library, but you you borrow it and you send it back. But when you've got them on demand, and you recycle them. It's going to cost an awful lot of money, isn't it, to buy in the paper and all the bits and pieces and produce them and send them and everything else. Where's the money going to come from? So have they not thought of that? Yep, yep. No, I think they definitely have thought about that, um, and obviously looked at you know what other libraries are doing around the world, uh, and also what is happening in in print as well. Um, it's my understanding that um, they have run some projections uh, and looked at the cost of maintaining um, a warehouse, you know, with with miles of of shelving and staffing uh, and and everything that kind of goes along with uh, managing you know an industrial uh, warehouse and and uh, and looked at the you know the ongoing uh, cost of that and of course those books that are recirculated that you know they don't last forever either you know they can only uh, go in and out uh, you know a number of times before they become 
uh, damaged, whether the book itself deteriorates or, you know, whether it's uh, neglected in some way or becomes, you know, mouldy. So books do need to re be replaced from time to time anyway. Um, a lot of the cost as well is for housing a collection that, frankly, you know, most of which actually hasn't left the warehouse in, in several years. Most books are just never borrowed. Um, so the cost of all of that um, against the cost of producing uh, books on demand, uh, given the reduced number of Braille library members, there's been a drop in, in, in recent years with more people moving to um, digital um comes out at about the same but that said um rnib has uh, budgeted for an increase in demand in the braille library uh, for the first year uh and will obviously you know review that year on year so uh i i think that there have been calculations done um and I don't think RNIB would be making this is, you know, my personal view, you know, from a as a Braille reader and as somebody who's sort of interested as an observer is uh, I suspect RNIB wouldn't be making this move were it more expensive. Great question. Thank you, Tina. We're going to come to Teresa now. And after Teresa, we're going to come to Chris Brady. Uh, Teresa, you uh, have just been asked to unmute and you're good to go. Sorry, hello. Hello. I've got a, my question is, yeah. how on earth are you going to keep up with the demand? Because there's going to be hundreds of people wanting hundreds of books and you're going to be beavering away. Little, so will people be waiting? And, and I'm also concerned, that, like Tina, that it's going to cost a fortune to, to, to produce. And then you'll be saying, oh, we haven't got any money left. And because there's no books left in the library, there'll just be no library, no, no library you know, sort of thing anymore. And we'll have nowhere to go. Yeah. So as I, as I said, you know, RNIB is budgeted for an increase in demand. Um, you know, there are multiple, you know, industrial embossers that are that are ready to go. You know, they can be run um, through the through the night. You know, if if needed. Uh, so so you know, books can be produced quite rapidly. Uh, one of the questions that comes up is, you know, how long should I expect to wait for a book when I request it? And um, you know, the current service level uh, of around a week uh, is is what you know existing library members are used to um, and it's expected that that will continue to be the same um, obviously there will be a cost saving from not maintaining you know a warehouse and and um, you know pickers and, and that kind of thing so that offsets uh, the cost of the new service um, along with you know there has been a decline in in library numbers as I said you know with with more people uh, either down loading books or requesting you know the collection of books on a on a digital um sd card so you know as readers we're we're going to you know we're going to have to suck it and see a little bit um uh but i'm assured that the sums have been done um and uh it's it's not cost prohibitive and it's certainly what uh, what they're doing in the netherlands uh and libraries such as the nls in the united states you know and and canada and new zealand and australia they've either transitioned to this or they're in the process of of, of doing so Great to hear. Uh, now we've got four new questions left and uh, one person with a follow-up. So we'll get through as many as we can. We're going to come to Chris Brady now. And after you, Chris, we're going to go to Raymond. Hey, Chris, uh, you are unmuted. Uh, good evening. Good evening. Hi, Chris. Um, um, good evening. Um, 
there's uh, one question I would like to uh, ask. Some of these books that you, uh, you, you're you producing, will I be able to get them on uh, an SD card in BRF format? Yes, absolutely. So that's the that's the plan that, you know, eventually uh, where where I think we're, we're all kind of headed is that you'll be able to get anything as a uh, as a BRF. Um, at the moment, the current card, if you request it, has got around 800 books. The version that we're working on uh, that will be available in the coming months, that's going to double that number to around 1600. And it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so more and more books will become available electronically. There does need to be some work um, to make the existing um, books digital because obviously you don't need all the volume information when you've got, um, you know, a digital uh, book or, um, you know, there's other changes that you have to make. James Bowden is the expert on on, on that subject. Uh, but yes, that certainly is the direction of travel. I can't guarantee that a specific title um, is going to be available as a BRFR, but if there's something you want particularly, do uh, write in and, and request it, and we will do what we can to uh, to try and make that available to you. Definitely, exactly right. I was just about to say that, um, Chris. If there's anything particularly you want, write into Reading Services, and we'll see what we can do. Sounds like a good uh, suggestion to me. So we're going to come to Raymond next, and after Raymond, we're going to come to Jan. Hey, Raymond, you are <laughs> Thank you. Um, question, first question is on behalf of a friend who receives the new books publication, which I believe comes out um, every two months. In the current edition, apparently there was no mention of the change to A4 size Braille books. Just wondering, was this an oversight? Did it did the mag was the magazine put to bed before the deadline? when the announced prior to the announcement being made and in mind of that are people going to have to wait till the next edition of new books to get some kind of detailed information from rnib are they going to send out an interim statement to inform people i'll leave you with that one and i've got a couple of others to follow yeah, well, I did, take that question first. Yeah, I will. Yeah, so there was a letter uh, sent to all Braille Library uh, members at the beginning of uh, this month. Um, it doesn't sound like your friend has has received that. So um, there there was communication. Um, a hard copy Braille letter was sent out uh, and email, I believe, for people where email addresses are available. Um, and then also there has been communication in the media, obviously on on. In touch uh and then we, we felt you know at the braillist foundation that we should uh put on a session like this as well to help with um getting the message out to uh people um i don't know the answer to to the new books question um and, and perhaps it, it could have been mentioned in in new books as well um but all braille library members should have received um a letter and if you haven't um do get in touch and uh, and that can be resent Great. Um, shall we move on, or do we have time for another let's, one? From yeah, Raymond? let's let's take a, fo a follow up. I believe there was, yeah. there was, yeah. um, obviously the there's going to be more packages dropping. Well, not dropping through letterboxes, but <laughs> being thrust into people's hands by their postman. Um, now, if you've got a, a book that's comprised of ten or more A4 volumes, 
and you desperately wanted to get on with reading this thing and there's even more um, serious implications if you're studying open university etc um, how are you going to, going to ensure that volume one arrives before volume 40 in the case of Vanity Fair you, you could have volumes 30 up to 35 arrive and then two or more days later volume one could arrive how are you going to address that situation? And my final one, I'll mention it now, say yeah. messing around with the, the mic, the muting, etc. Yeah. Um, there's been talk about electronic dis, um, machines, you know, note takers, braille displays, etc. Um, now, you may have mentioned this at the beginning of the meeting. I was a bit late getting a few minutes late logging on. But what would you recommend as a low cost electronic braille device for people who want to go across to reading books by that format and what what's the latest on the canute machine okay so quite quite a lot to get through there so um in terms of guaranteeing the order in which volumes arrive um i i think we already have that that problem because you can only get a couple of volumes in a in a, in a bag um but obviously as much as possible from the library end they'll try and make sure that you get um the volumes you need uh in the right order that's not to say that things won't you know move around in in the post um the seven volumes of the book that i received um they were actually all held together with um a big thick elastic band so they were all kept together and the guy knocked on the door and he dropped them on the doormat uh, and i picked them up and i, and I had them all and i think it, it remains to be seen how many volumes uh, vanity fair uh, ends up being and i will certainly uh, ask that uh, that question in terms of affordable uh, refreshable braille if you wanted to dip your toe in the digital braille uh, world um, rnib has the orbit reader uh, 20 uh, braille display which is um, a, a low cost uh, braille e-reader there's more information about that on the rnib website also on the braillist website we've recorded a, a session um, demonstrating that um, device uh, and then going up from there there are um, devices like the um, the focus 14 um, uh, that also um, you can use with your phone or your tablet for reading content uh, in Braille, and that uses the more traditional Braille cell technology. So um, there are, there are um, lower cost options out there. Um, I have to say that um, there are also grants available for people who um, may find the cost of um, braille technology um, problematic uh, if you go to rnib.org.uk slash grants uh, then uh, you can find information about what grants are available uh, to help with the cost of, of braille tech um, on the canute it's my understanding that bristol braille technology are hoping to resume um, production um, as soon as possible um, following um, a bit of pretty difficult time uh, during uh, coronavirus uh, and George Bell at Technovision uh, is the distributor for the Canute so I would recommend perhaps keeping in touch with George and he'll be able to give you the latest uh, information on Canute as it becomes available. Thanks for that Raymond. Uh, we're going to come to Jan next and after you Jan we're going to come to Tim. Uh, Jan you are good to go. Hello there it's Jan. Hi Jan. <laughs> 
Um, just a suggestion about recycling books, and that is if we joined a sort of like a buddy scheme, say I was linked with Dave and then Dave was linked with Margaret and Margaret was linked with the next person along, then we could pass our books to that person and so on. Yeah, so so um, I, I'd like to explore that idea, um, and if people are interested in, you know, the Braillists perhaps being involved in some sort of, you know, book exchange scheme, then do do write to help at Braillists.org um, or pop a message on the um, forum. Uh, it's you know, it's not something that I've got time, you know, as, as chair of the Braillists and also working at the at the RNIB uh, and and Young Family and all of that to to kind of you know micromanage myself but if there are enough people interested i'll quite happily try and bring people together um you know and maybe that links into our book club that we run at the braillist as well we've got a, a braille book club on a thursday evening uh so it might be something that could perhaps link link to that as well so uh do get in touch great suggestion jan we're going to come to tim next and after tim we're going to go to alan hey tim Hello. Um, a couple of points. One is I just would like to register a, a point about sustainability. I think I think we're we're in danger of going the wrong direction, really. I mean, when 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 you when you talk when you talk about sustainability, and you talk about reduce, reuse, recycle. We should be doing the reuse before the recycling. Um, the other the other point is just to follow up what um, Adrian was saying earlier on. Um, I think it's I think it's a bit premature getting rid of the old copies before um the system the new system is really up and running. I mean for instance if if for instance I was after one of the books that um was was produced in the 1950s um some of the old classics that sort of thing um if I, if I was to then re uh, request a um you know a new version of it um that might take several months whereas if I still had access to the old one they could have just dropped that in the post to me um the other another another point is I suspect I've, I, I don't I can't do the maths but um I suspect that producing braille on a4, paper um with the shortened lines actually is 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 less efficient than producing you know actual for the for the weight of paper um than actually producing the um the longer lines and there was one final thought which i thought um if you set up one of these um these book clubs um you could actually call it a library you could have someone administering it you could uh, you could have someone uh, looking after the books which are actually held by the book club and um, you could go full circle so uh firstly i just wanted to say that the the Brailis foundation is a, a kind of a small uh, charity that was sort of you know isn't um, you know, formally linked to RNIB and uh, we established early last year and where, you know, our mission is more Braille. You know, we're, we're really passionate about promoting Braille usage. And so we, you know, want to help um, people who are passionate about Braille, spread Braille, use Braille, get the best out of Braille. And so, you know, that offer to try and link people together to perhaps exchange books or share books or run book clubs, uh, that kind of thing, you know, that's a that's a community effort from the um, from the Braillists uh, Foundation that, you know, we, you know, are keen to hear from anyone who's interested in volunteering to help with that, uh, you know, please do uh, get in touch and perhaps that will address, you know, 
know, some of the points about, you know, reusing before um, recycling. If there is something specific um, that you'd like from the library that was produced a long time ago, then do get in touch with the reading services team. And uh, if they've got it, they'll send it to you. Thanks for that, Tim. Uh, we're going to come to Alan. Alan, uh, you are unmuted. Good evening. It's just probably three points of, of observation I've made in the past and whether people are aware. When the Braille Library was in Stockport, I visited there a few times. And just for people to have some sort of imagination of the size of the building that was housing all these books, was quite phenomenal. So the cost of keeping that to temperature for the books and things, I can see how there is a cost effectiveness or a cost balance in actually reproducing. But it is a shame about books, what might be lost. But also adding the whole thing of production, the size of the embossers uh, they actually have, they're not like your little index embosser at home they're like the size of a small car they are absolutely massive and then final point is i was also told on my visits there a braille book would only generally go out to three or four people before it had to really be replaced anyway so just some some observations from my visits there in the past Thanks, Alan. That's uh, that's really helpful. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I just um, you know, I just want to want to emphasise that um, you know, if anybody wants one of the books that was produced in the in the past, then you can request that um, from the uh, from the library. So, if you want something uh, that was produced in a particular way, you know, fifty years ago or seventy years ago, you can request that. Uh, and we are looking through uh, to find those things that are kind of cultural treasurers. Uh, uh, those of you who were here at the very beginning, you know, will know I mentioned the the coronation and the Radio Times from the thirties and and things like that where something is a, is a treasure that we, we de definitely don't want to lose um, and uh, so you know the books um, are not being lost where we've got digital files um, we can produce those on demand uh, and where items are precious they are preserved and the remainder of the collection is being donated to readers and where books are in disrepair as Alan said you know once it's uh, gone out two or three times it, it has to be replaced anyway um, those those are being recycled. Uh, ben? Yeah, so uh, we've got uh, two people with uh, follow-up questions. Uh, we'll, we'll come to Kate and then Raymond. Uh, hey, Kate, you're good to go. Hi, Kate. Oh, thank you again. Um, I suppose um, I think my colleague, musician colleague, has, has left the meeting, but um, I know that the two of us and there's other musicians and and James. Um, we have particular concerns about the music collection. Um, you probably don't know, but a long time ago, um, I was responsible for uh, checking and cataloging the entire Thermoform Masters music collection. I think that was back in 1993, which is awful long time ago now. Um, and although there was a lot of stuff that, even then, I was thinking, mm, is this useful? Well, it probably is. Um, and so it might not be now. But equally, there was a lot of stuff in there that was what you might call core repertoire. 
um, choral stuff, some piano and organ, uh, a lot of flute music because there are a lot of flute players, um, and some of which is is stuff that I know that students who I've just taken on would be coming up to in the next few years. I understand now, just today, that RNIB no longer has the capacity to duplicate thermoform. Um, I'm half sure, because uh, I spoke to NCW, that the NCW can, they have a thermoform machine and I think they can duplicate it. But until some of that material is retranscribed and it, it won't be a cost-free business um, to, to do so, there is a lot of repertoire and there's a lot of plate-made music that I really feel, I know you're saying it can be distributed to um, whoever wants it, but most of us haven't got room to take on that much stuff. And once you start doing that, you break up the, um, you know, what is called effectively a national archive into lots of bits. And, and I wonder whether there is any chance of uh, music being a special case, whether we can put it somewhere, check really check what there is there's been no time um to to do that i mean we've had so little notice about these changes we've not had time to put any sort of provision in place but i've been in touch with the amber trust with ncw and um all sorts of musicians colleagues to say look do you know this has happening and quite a few people didn't know um we need more time to work out what is there and then to work out where that should go if it's usable if it's not usable and, and so on and i you know you're breaking up a, a what could be a very important resource uh james Barron, i'm going to ask you uh if you can comment um on that in just a moment um kate on the uh point about you know letting people know you know the I'm trying to make sure that through, you know, efforts like this one and uh, obviously, you know, media uh, and correspondence um, that, you know, we get the message out to as many people um, as, as possible in a, in a uh, timely manner. But I do hear what you're saying uh, and I do hear your concerns. James, do you, do you have anything to say? Yes. Yeah, so Kate's comments. So it's it's an interesting one, Kate, and I absolutely take your point about a national archive and so on. Um, it is true that much Braille music was produced in the 1920s and 1930s. Um, and as you say, that would have been done by plate. Now, I did actually raise a very similar question at a conference last year. Uh, in international braille conference and i said well this music is in a format which is no longer current using a braille code which is no longer current in a format that can't be reproduced is it best to try and digitize those existing braille files and there's one country which has been relatively successful at that um, or is it best to retranscribe from a modern edition which will be more relevant to a modern audience and use a modern format now there's an awful lot of unanswered questions there and i guess it remains to be seen what will actually happen however on the positive side RNIB absolutely remains committed to Braille music and so on. And if there is something you need transcribing, we do have a rapid transcription service and we are also investing in new technologies to transcribe print music into Braille. 
Thanks for that, Dave and James. And now last, but by no means least, Raymond, you are now unmuted. Thank you. Thank you again. Just um, one more, an observation, the other's a question. The, the observation is just going back to this volume one, etc., not arriving till you've, after you've received the, the other volumes in, in a book. I just feel that a lot of people will be concerned about that, especially if the book is, I don't know, anything more than 10 A4 volumes long. Anyway, I'll, that's that's my observation. And the other one is going back to something that John and Laura mentioned about the A4 sheet as opposed to the square sheet, Perkins size sheet of Braille. Well, the same principle applies when you're looking at Braille display, electronic Braille displays. Now, I can't think of many people who would want to read a full-length novel, Vanity Fair, for example, <laughs> um, on a 14-character or even a 20-character Braille display. The, a competent Brailleist would probably want to have a 32 or a 40-cell display. So in mind of that, which machines would you recommend or advise people to have a look at if they want something with a, with a longer Braille display? Okay, so on that, the uh, Orbit Reader 40 uh, will be available in April uh, in the UK. That will be the lowest cost 40-cell uh, uh, Braille display. Uh, and then going up from there, um, Humanware has their Brilliant X 40-cell uh, display. They have their Mantis Q, which has a, a QWERTY keyboard on it. So that's a little bit you know, of a larger footprint. Um, there is the Focus uh, 40 as well. And um, HIMS, I believe, uh, makes some some larger Braille displays. So um, there are quite a few uh, out in the market. I think Computer Room Services are selling the um, the Vario Ultra displays uh, that came in a in a forty cell, uh, if memory serves. And uh, that you know there are a number available, and it really depends what other um, features um, you would want and whether you would want a, a more traditional Braille display using the traditional traditional pin technology as we come out of um the coronavirus restrictions um i would be talking to the companies about um opportunities to either uh you know audition a display loan a display have a demonstration of a display because it's got to be right you know these things we we touch a lot all day every day uh and it's got to feel right hasn't it you know and the keys have got to be in comfortable positions for uh panning and 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 that sort of thing so in the same way that a sighted person you know wouldn't buy a car without taking it for a test drive i wouldn't buy a braille display without um having a go with it first so um i hope that um addresses that question and uh, absolutely right dave um what i often say to people who ask what's the best braille display is, is I'm, I'm hoping this is going to be possible later in the year if you can get along to one of the exhibitions like site village then you can see all the manufacturers there and it's a great opportunity to get hands-on with these devices just to come back to your very interesting question about the line length um i can tell you it is very possible to read full-length novels on a 20-cell Braille display. I've done it myself. And the thing that I found, which is interesting, which I wasn't expecting, is 
you actually don't get sort of tired um, because you don't have to keep moving your arms across all the time. You can almost keep your hands relatively still with your wrists and arms relatively still on the shorter line length so although yes you get fewer words per line if you get the display to auto advance which i did then it was actually quite a smooth experience i was quite pleasantly surprised yeah and i, and I remember reading an article in the louis uh, well a, a, an english report of an article that was originally a french uh, article in the louis braille uh, magazine uh, that there was some research conducted into braille display line length and reading speed uh, and that they found that the optimal um, line length was somewhere you know around 32 uh, cells that actually on longer displays there was no um, perceivable increase on average in in the you know in the people they studied anyway uh, so you know maybe it's because you don't have to move your hands around you know quite so much on a on a shorter line so uh, give these things a try and I and I know the companies are keen uh, to sell braille displays and so if you say well I'm thinking about buying one I'd like to have a look at, at yours I'm sure they'd be uh, willing to uh, to show it to you and I know at least one chap uh, in the industry who's saying look we'll loan you one uh if you want to try uh, a braille display to see if it's um the right thing uh for you okie dokie well thank you so much everybody um it was always going to be uh, a fascinating session because obviously you know during the day you know i'm working with um rnib uh, and trying to communicate these changes uh, but also you know as the chair of the Brailers Foundation. I'm a Braille reader myself, uh, and we started the Brailers Foundation to to really, you know, promote Braille usage and to help disseminate information about Braille. And so it was uh, a, a very important session uh, this one for me personally. So thank you for so many of you coming along and some really great thought provoking uh, questions um, and. You know, for some of it, I think we're going to have to wait and see. And for some of it, um, we've got a recording of the session uh, so we can comb through that. And any questions where we haven't been able to give you a full answer, um, I will raise those with the uh, the reading services team and we'll uh, we'll follow up with a, you know, with an article or, or, or some way to get that, that information out. So thank you very much, uh, Ben, for all your help with the moderation. Really appreciate that. Uh, if you've got ideas about... Uh, about ways in which uh, you think the Brailers Foundation could promote Braille usage uh, and uh, encourage the spread of Braille, then do stay in touch with us through our website, braillists.org, on Twitter at Braillists. And uh, you can always write to help at braillists.org uh, or join the Braillists forum. Um, I've been Dave Williams. Thank you very much also to James Bowden for your contributions this evening. All the best, everybody. Take care. And until next time, bye for now.